Um, Bibles, uh, turn them to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you haven't already. And uh, one of my favorite things to do in the whole entire world is just spend time with my family. Sometimes I don't realize that, but uh, whenever I do and I start reminiscing, I can't believe, uh, babe, that it's been, it'll be seven years this December. Seven years seems like it's gone by so fast. I remember uh, my first year that I was married uh, was my last year in school and uh, enjoyed some, some, great, uh, some great times together uh, during that. Of course, uh, any time that you, you start the marriage, it's supposed to be, that's supposed to be like the honeymoon phase, right? Every, everything's supposed to go great and, and everyone gets along and, and, then, and then like, you know, life hits and uh, everything starts to go, okay, wait a minute, you know, this isn't all it's cracked up to be. But for us, it's been like the complete opposite of that. We, uh, uh, she is an only child and a spoiled brat. Beautiful spoiled brat, but spoiled brat. And I was uh, the firstborn, only male child in the family. So I was used to getting my way all the time. And she was definitely used to, I mean, there, was, there wasn't any other way for anybody else to get so she was used to getting her way, and so we would fight about the most unbelievable things. I mean, it was, it was crazy. I, mean, I remember, uh, when I say fight, it wasn't like, you know, physical. It was, it was a lot of verbal abuse going on. Uh, <laughs> that's not funny. Um, but uh, we, we would fight a lot. I mean, it was about, you know, the most, like, ridiculous thing. I remember, I specifically remember one, growing up, I couldn't stand when, when uh, and some of you, if you resonate with me here, just say Amen. But uh, the toothpaste cap, like the, 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 when you flip it open, you know, you have one that kind of, you can flip it open or you can unscrew it, right? Well, when you flip it open and you squirt the toothpaste out, you can sometimes get the crusty, you know, the crust. That's disgusting. And so I unscrew the cap. And, and, and so we had a, she wanted to do the flippy cap. I wanted to unscrew. And, and so it was, you know, I'd come in and say, babe, there's crusties on the, that's disgusting. And uh, no, we had, I mean, I've really thoroughly enjoyed our marriage, but the first year and a half before we had our daughter Jocelyn, everything was different before that defining moment in time. I mean, once the kid comes, I mean, everything changes. Uh, I remember uh, us going here to uh, the hospital that's there on Malvern, I can't remember the name of it, to find out if Denise was pregnant. We drove and uh, drove there, and, and, and I wanted to have a kid. Uh, we, you know, you ask different people, and some people say you need to wait a year. Some people say you need to wait two years. Some people wait five years. Some people wait longer. It's great. No matter what, it, I wanted to have a kid right away. I just, I, there's nothing better than seeing just some little bouncy kid, you know, run around, and they're so cute. I, believe it or not, I actually wanted to have a girl, not necessarily first, but I wanted to have a girl. And so if we were only going to have one, I wanted to make sure that we got a girl, uh, we got that out of the way, and so now I regret all that, but no. <laughs> no she, Jocelyn's, Jocelyn, if you ever meet her, I mean, she's a, she's a trip. She's out of control, but we, we, I remember driving there and, and going to the hospital and, and you know, waiting in the, in the, in the room there to, for the doctor to come back. Actually, they took her all by herself. They wouldn't let me in there. I forgot. And uh, Denise came out, and she was crying. And, of course, of course guys, you know, I mean... That could mean a whole bunch of things, you know. 
It can mean you're happy, sad, or not, either of those. Whatever emotion is in there, it could mean anything. And so I remember the anticipation, and she, looked, and she, and she shook her head, yes. And then she said, I'm sorry. Uh, and I was like, what? And she said, well, it's, you know, we're, you're still in school. And I said, I don't care. I'm so glad. I mean, all of, it seemed like everything at that moment kind of changed. And then after that day, everything kind of got normal again, you know. Uh, uh, Denise is the same size, and and uh, I'm sorry. Uh, and then everything is just kind of you know just get, goes back into normal r- routine. And of course, guys, if you, and it, well, maybe not all guys, but me especially, I'm a procrastinator. You know, they taught you know Denise wanted me to read all these different things about you know leading up into the birth, and you know she wanted me to feel you know her her tummy and you know feel the, the kicks, and I was like, oh yay. And uh, I know it's horrible, but I, I, now we, we have a, 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 a yellow lab and she's due in about five to seven days and I can't stop touching that tummy. But that's because it's, you know, cha-ching, you know, the, the other way around, it's like, oh no, this is going to cost me a lot of money. And uh, so, oh man, thousands of dollars going away. Where at the other, it's the opposite. But uh, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But seriously, uh, we... Um, I remember, though, the day that Jocelyn was born. I remember not being prepared. You know, no one prepares you for that day. You hear the stories of, you know, the wife yelling at the husband, you did this to me, you know, and, and all those crazy things. And, I, I, you know, I remember being up all night long. And, and uh, Denise didn't want to go through any, uh, uh, you know, epidural or she wanted to com- go completely natural. And uh, I said, I support you. But, uh, you know, it made for a long, I remember finding out that, you know, after hours and hours of contractions that, that the baby still wasn't even close to coming. And I said, please take an epidural, you know, and, and she, uh, she, you know, biting on my, uh, on my arm. I remember finding, and she, I had to tell her about this afterwards. She had completely forgotten because it's all a whirlwind. And uh, I, I said, I had to tell her that, you know, I have different bite marks all over because each area was getting sore. And so I had to find a different, then I had to switch to my right arm. I literally was sore completely all over my hands. But I remember that, you know, finally, the, the, you know, it was a little scary uh, when Jocelyn, right when she uh, was delivered, they started throwing out all the terms. And I knew at that point I should have been, I should have done all the reading I was supposed to do. You know, they're yelling these different things and, and you know, uh, you know, uh, meconium and, and breached and, you know, all these like, you know, crazy terms. I'm like, what does that mean? You know, and my, my wife is sitting there. She's looking at me. She goes, is everything OK? And I was like, yes. And I'm thinking, I don't know. You know, what in the world? And I remember the, you know, the fear and, the, and, and just the, the, the rush of that one moment, whether you're I mean, you don't know. I mean, could something happen? Could the baby be all right? And of course, everything, of course, was was OK. And. Then we spent, you know, the next two days in the hospital. And that's kind of cool. It's kind of nice. I mean, I know most of you are probably going, what in the world? But it was kind of nice because, you know, the nurses there, they just know what they're doing. I mean, you know, they take the baby, you know, wipe, 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 diaper, you know, on in like a matter of seconds. You're like, whoa, this is pretty great. And then they take him away. And then, you know, it's, it's great. You know, he's asleep there on the couch and and everything, everything was great. And then, you know, after the two days, the, the nurse, you know, hands, hands me the baby, or Jocelyn, and, and says, all right, you can go. And I said, go where? <laughs> you can go home. And I said, why? 
this is the arrangement. Can you come? You know, I, I, this, is a, this is a good thing. And so I remember, uh, you know, taking Jocelyn from the, from, the, from the hospital. They made Denise, you know, sit in a wheelchair, you know, all the way out. And I guess, you know, uh, you know they don't want to get sued or something like that. And so, they, you know, they wheel her out. She's holding the baby. I drive the car up. You know, I'm trying to, I, I should have had the seat already ready to go, but I'm trying to, you know, how does the seatbelt go over this way? And then, you know, this connects into that. And we were, had a two-door Honda Civic. So, you know, trying to get Jocelyn in, it was like, you know, I had to like almost flip the carriage over to get it through the seat, you know, and put her in. And, and I sometimes I'm, I'm a little envious of the olden days when, you know, some of you in here, you didn't get strapped down to nothing, you know, when you were a kid. It was like, you know, someone made a turn and you slid, you know, all the way across the, you know, the, the seat. I miss those days. I mean, it was, it was, you know, you're trying not to pinch anything. There's blankets everywhere. And I was, I, I, I was very careful. I mean, I was actually glad that we had all these precautions. On the way to the hospital, it was different. I actually used that as an excuse to go 100 miles an hour. I'd always wanted to go. I was hoping that a police officer would pull me over. I was hoping. So I could just say, I've got a baby coming. We've got to get going. You lead the way. Start flashing the blue lights. Let's go. Let's go. I mean, I wanted to do that. I on purpose picked a hospital that was 45 minutes away so I could just, I could just floor it. You know, but on, once Jocelyn came, I'm putting this fragile life and connecting all of the buckles and making sure everything is just right. And, you know, I'm driving in the breakdown lane at 45 miles an hour, you know, looking in all my mirrors. And then, you know, people flying by and I'm rolling my window down, you know, slow down. You know, what's wrong with you? I've got a baby on board here. It's a fragile life. What's wrong with you people? Get home and take the baby to, you know, she spends a bunch of time with mom. You know, it's like, once that happens, it's like relationship between, you know, husband and wife is over. I'll see you in about four hours, you know, you have fun with the, with the baby, and, and, and then nighttime came, and she said, all right, Matt, it's time for you to put, you know, Jocelyn to bed. I said, well, she's going to be, you know, sleeping with, with us, right? I mean, we've got to protect her. And she said, no, no, she has her own room. I was like, but it's five feet away. You know, what if something happens? You know, we had lasers, you know, and different things, you know, in case anybody broke in. I remember, you know, that first father-daughter moment, you know, put her in bed, and I said, all right, you know, no heaven guys over. Um, be good. Yeah, keep smiling. Love your smile. And uh, I'll see you tomorrow morning. I should have said, I'll see you in about 20 minutes. That's what I should have said. I remember finally after all the dust settled and my wife and I are sitting in our room together and I looked at her and I can't remember exactly the words I say, but I said, but I, I remember the feeling that everything has just changed completely. And it was fun, the dating time, I, time that I dated my wife and it was fun those, that first year and a half of marriage, just getting to know each other, but I it was a good feeling, but a little bit of a scary feeling to realize that everything was going to be different from now on. There is, no, there is no turning back. Not that I wanted to turn back, but there was no turning back. Everything had changed. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, if you'll follow along with me, Paul is writing his second letter to the church in Corinth. 
if you were to take look at the church of Corinth back then, scholars say that you were probably looking at a uh, at like a uh, a combination of Las Vegas and Amsterdam. I mean, it was a very wicked horrible town, morality out the window, ethics out the window. The Christians, the church that is living in this age, is living in, in, in this town, is, are, are living in a horrible state. Sin is rampant all around them. Corinth was a port town. And port towns back in then, the, the morality issues were, were just out of control. And Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, his second letter. And if you'll look with me, we'll start in, uh, in verse number uh, 11. You never know where to start when you're, when you're preaching a message because you're trying to take everything into context. So originally I had it around 15 and then I just kept on moving it up, you know. Start in verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves against unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. Listen closely here. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we were all dead. And that he died for all. And that which, uh, which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto them which died for them. Wherefore, hence, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth we know him no more. Here's where the crux of the sermon comes together. Verse number 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, say in Christ. We're going to be talking about that a lot. In Christ, be, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, or look, look, behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, but hath committed us unto the world of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you uh, by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This morning, I would probably, if I could, categorize all of us into three groups of people. New believers, old believers, and I don't mean by age. I thought about putting mature believers, but there's some that have been believing for a long time that aren't mature believers and non-believers. Uh... I would say that with the non-believers, I will assume, hope, pray that someday you will one day receive Christ and one day you would, maybe you're kind of on the cusp right now of, of deciding whether or not you want to follow Christ. 
you're wondering what it all entails. You're wondering what does that consist of. Well, this message is also for you because this is going to tell you that assuming that you follow Christ, that you become in Christ, that you will experience these things that I'm going to talk about this morning. There's the old believers and the new believers. New believers, for some of you, you've just joined the church or you've just joined a small group and you've just maybe recently in the, next, in the last month, the last week, the last year, have trusted Christ and decided to follow Christ. And you're hearing terms like, you know, born again and justification, sanctification, and all these crazy terms, maybe in your small group, maybe a church, you're hearing all those terms and you're kind of wondering what this is all about. But you do know that something about what has happened in your life has changed. And you know from here in this verse that, that all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But even then, some of that old sin nature creeps in. Old believers, man, we can attest to it. We can definitely attest to it. Those that have been saved for a longer period of time, we can say that, man, even though I know everything has changed, sometimes I just feel like nothing has changed. And that everything is the same, although I won't admit it, because I know to admit it may, may mean I need to get my assurance of salvation or what's going on. Sometimes you, I, I know me personally, I can feel like, man, you know, God, did you, did you not, did you not, you were the one to put that verse in there, right? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, how many things? All things are become new. Did I, did I miss the boat? Or God, should I have sent you my forwarding address? I mean, what's going on right here? I feel like sometimes the old man is just rampant inside of me. How come old things are not passed away? I mean, Paul, could you be a little bit more practical in what you're saying? Has everything really, really changed? You see, the key here is the phrase, in Christ. This is the pivotal statement in this passage. And then if you look through all of Paul's writings, Paul goes back to, in Christ, 73 times he mentions it in his message. In his letters. So obviously this is a very important thing. And so why is this phrase in Christ so pivotal? Why is it so important that Paul takes time to mention it 73 times? It becomes literally a, like one of his favorite things to say. You ever met somebody and they have a couple catchphrases that they, all, I mean, they always go back to? Well this would be one of Paul's phrases that he always seems to mention in Christ. The reason why this phrase is so important, if we break down this phrase, you look along in your, in your worship guide there, if God was not in Christ, then Christ was not who he said he was. You see, this is why it's so important, why Christ is so important, why Jesus Christ, the Son of God, why him... The Son of God is so important to what we are doing because 
If Christ is not who he said he was, then all of what we're doing, all of this, the church, the Bible, our small groups, our meeting, our worship, our announcements in the morning, our fellowship together, all of it is a glorified waste of time. I mean, I like all of you guys. I, I'm glad I get to be friends with you. I'm glad I get to have, have a, a relationship with all of you and, and be friends with you. It's great. I love it. But all of that is a waste of time. All of what we're doing this morning is a waste of time unless Jesus Christ is who he said he was. Look at verse number 14 in 2 Corinthians chapter 14, talking about this man, Christ. For the love of Christ, what? Constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we were all dead. We believe that Jesus Christ came to save our sins and came to reconcile us. There's a big term, reconciliation, reconcile uh, uh, verse number 18 and 19, look with me. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. What does reconciliation mean? Fill this definition in in your worship guide. The restoration of friendly relations or to move from a feeling of hostility to friendship. I don't know about you, but... That kind of gets me a little bit of excited. I mean, have you ever had a friend that is hostile towards you? You literally, either you can't stand him or he can't stand you, and there's hatred one to another. How often does that relationship move from hostility to friendship? It hardly ever does. But God thought of us because of our sin as hostile. Sometimes I think we like to think of God as this, this entity that looked down on earth and said, oh man, you know, guys, I'm sorry. Yeah, I set the bar so high. I really feel bad about that. Let's just, okay, uh, redo, redo everything. Uh, just try, just try a little bit harder. We'll, we'll forget everything. I mean, I know it was through one man, one sin, and it gave you sin. It kind of, it probably, it really wasn't even your fault. <laughs> Let's just redo, redo. I, you know, and I see, because I do see potential in you. God didn't see potential in us. He saw the opposite of potential. God and sin cannot coexist. God cannot wink at sin. God cannot look in the face of sin and say everything is okay because it's not okay. You and I have to pay for the, that sin. You and I are aired through and through. There isn't good in you. Before you came to a relationship with Christ, God didn't look at you and say, I see something inside of you that makes me love you. He did love us. But it wasn't because of anything inside of us. We were aired through and through. Verse 19 says that he came to reconcile the world. I love that word world because that means everybody. That includes you. It includes me. It's that same world that 
we talk about for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's the same world. God loved you. He loved me. And He get, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who had God inside of Him to reconcile us. To move our relationship from a relationship of hostility to the complete opposite paradigm, a relationship of friendship. So, what is Paul talking about here? Because of Christ, we have taken on the righteousness of Christ. Because of Christ, we have taken on the righteousness of Christ. Verse 21 says, For he hath made him to sin, he hath made him to be sin for us. We often think that Christ took on sin, but he did much more than that. He became sin. There had to be somebody that would take on and become sin for you and me because that sin had to be paid for. It had to be reconciled, and it was either going to be you or someone that had never sinned. So because of Christ, we have taken on the righteousness of Christ. We have become, according to verse number 17, a new creature. And we are now in Christ. So what is Paul talking about here? Remember we said, Paul, can you be a little bit more practical? Can you explain what you mean by in Christ? How come I still have these old feelings how come I still feel like a bad person sometimes? In Christ is not the practical life of the believer, but it is the positional life of the believer. Do you get that? It is not the practical life of the believer. We want Paul to be practical here. What do we need to do, Paul, to be in Christ? You're saying old nature passed away, new nature has come upon us. What do you mean by that? Well, he's not talking about the practical side. He's talking about the positional side, where you are in Christ. Not what you are striving to be. This is what we're taught from a young age. Practice dictates position. Think about it. I'm not even saying this is wrong in our economic system, in the, in the, uh, the democratic republic that we live in, with capitalism, the better you do, the better position you get. You start off working here, you work really hard, and if you do really good, eventually you make it to the top. My pre-algebra teacher for four years told me, that's a joke, that if you strive really hard, eventually you'll graduate high school. And then if you work really hard, you'll graduate from college. The job that I worked at through college, the more that I worked, I became a trainer. And then they wanted me to go up further in the cup. The harder you work, the better you practice, the better the position. You say, well, I'm not a position person. I, I don't do position. Position doesn't matter to me. And you hold that position very well. We all are about position. On earth, I'm not even saying it's a bad thing. I'm not preaching this morning, you know, don't be about position. Don't try to work hard to, to get a better position in your company. No, work as hard as you can. But God's economic system doesn't work that way. 
Your practice doesn't determine your position. In college, CEO athletics, they all illustrate practice dictating position. But what God is saying through Paul here in 2 Corinthians is a complete paradigm shift. Something so completely opposite from, from what we're taught from a baby on. That sometimes it's hard for us to grasp and we keep on reverting back into this practice will determine position. And what God is saying is that position dictates practice. Position dictates practice. See, this was the old way. The old way was the harder you work before. That's why when you're talking to someone that doesn't know much about Christ or they're, they're interested in becoming a believer. The automatic human way for us to think is, is there some things I can do? Is there some, some practices that I can do? Is it, how many times do I need to go to church? How many acts of kindness do I need before I am finally in Christ, accepted by him, and have a home in heaven? And we have to teach them, no, 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 no. It's completely by the grace of God. You don't have to do anything for it. You automatically get the position. Christ became this position so that we could have this position. The work has already been accomplished. Paul is using strong language here. He's being very definitive. He's saying the old nature is gone. Completely gone. Behold, the new is upon you. It is completely made you a different person. That is definitive. There's no gray area here. Maybe best illustrated, have you ever watched American Idol or The Voice? Okay, I know that some people have like, you know, they watch The Voice. These people watch American Idol and they hate each other, you know. This show's better. You know, I don't know. I don't watch either of them. I spend most of my time in prayer. And uh, no. (laughs) Now, one of my favorite things about about either show really is is you're, you're taking somebody that is just, a, just common. Someone that, you know, doesn't have a shot. And through this long, grueling process, like the American Idol season's like, you know, nine months long, you know. My favorite part is, you know, of course, the, the part where, you know, they have people that think that they're good. And, you know, you're like, ah, you know. Not me. I said, oh, you just need a coach. You got it. But I love watching those shows. And you see, you know. Uh, like in The Voice, they have like the three chairs are turned around. Okay, what they do is they have three judges. And they, they have to judge based off of the voice, not how the person looks or how they're acting. And when they hear somebody that they, that they like, they press a button or something and their chair flips around. And then they, 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 they become on their team. Okay, and that's how they audition. American Idol, you know, you have this person walks in and they have to go in front of three judges. They're all nervous, you know, shaking. They, they're not allowed to use any instruments I don't know if they can now, but they used to not be able to use it. They, you know, they have to sing, and, and, and sometimes they'll do like crazy things to get noticed because we got thousands of people that are auditioning for this one part. So, you know, you have people like dress crazy, act crazy, they'll say something crazy, they'll run up and kiss one of the judges, they'll do something out of the ordinary to say, hey, notice me! And then they sing, and hopefully they get that golden ticket, and they move on, and through a long, grueling process, maybe one day they can say, I was the champion of American Idol or The Voice. Sometimes we live our Christian life like that. Hoping, auditioning for God's love. 
Maybe, God, if I do something out of the ordinary, you'll notice me and I'll receive your grace and, I'll, and, 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 and then I can, I'll, I'll really strive really hard to be in Christ. Hey, the audition ended a long time ago. 2,000 years ago, audition was over. You are already one. Quit trying to work towards that position. Maybe one day I'll get up there to in Christ and I'll, I'll have that position. God, please notice me. And he says, you already have the position. You already have it. You're already in Christ. Use my power to do my practice. Instead of trying to practice to get his power. See, oftentimes we look at other people's lives and we're so good at judging them for what they're doing, what they're not doing. We say, there's no way they're in Christ. So what ends up happening is we know deep down inside that we're the same way. As we judge others and how they're living, how many times they're coming to church, I saw saw so-and-so, they missed last week, I wonder where they were. Maybe something was more important in their life than church. I'm not like that. But we deep down we know we have either we are just like that or we have other things in our life that make us like that. And so it's this it's this judging everyone and seeing who is more in Christ than others are in Christ. I got news for all of us. If you're saved, you are in Christ. You are just as high as everybody else. You say, yeah, I'm more in Christ. You can't be more in Christ. You either are in Christ or you're not in Christ. You're either using the power of Christ or you're not. And the difficulty is sometimes we get a little confused in that and we start doing things in the old nature because we try to be in Christ. And that's where we mess up. Because it's not about you. The Bible says in John chapter 8, verse 36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. You see, what the Son sets free is free all the way. There is no partial freedom. Say, you know what? Joe, you're free. Say, Joe is my prisoner. I say, Joe, you're free. But on the weekends, you need to come back and, you know, spend some time in yourself. It's not free all the way. God has given us complete freedom, complete liberty. You say, oh, to do whatever we want? Well, then you're not being in Christ. Because <laughs> if you're in Christ, you don't do whatever you want. There's the, there's, there's the where we get confused and we think, oh, my goodness, well, if we have freedom, what if people take advantage of that freedom? They take advantage of God's grace and they start doing bad things and they say, it's all under the blood and it's by the grace of God and I'm, I'm doing bad things, but it's okay because I, I'm, it's great. Well, you won't. You won't. If you're living in Christ through his power, Christ doesn't sin. He lived the substitutional life for us. He had a substitutional death and a substitutional life. You see, in one act, God has punched, kicked, knocked over 
any excuse that we might have for insecurity, for comparison. There's no reason for stress. There's no reason for fear. There's no reason for anxiety. Because in Christ, we have nothing to fear. In Christ, there is no reason to compare one another and what another Christian is doing and what they're wearing, what they're listening to. How are they acting? How's their church attendance? There's no reason for that. Notice, interesting, and if you look at Galatians chapter number 5, I think uh, Ken will have it up on, on the screen. In Galatians chapter uh, 5 and verse number 22, uh, 22, <laughs> 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. When we live in Christ, we get all of that. See, what we do is we turn it the opposite way around and we say, man, I got to really work on love. I got to really work on joy. I got to really work on peace. I got to really work on long suffering. I'm, I'm lacking a little bit in gentleness. I'm really good at goodness and faith. So meekness, I'm having some trouble, but temperance I'm great at. So I'm almost there. I'm almost in Christ. I got a couple more things to work on here. And maybe I'll have it, but the Bible doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit. If you're living in Christ, you get all of them. One package. You don't live in Christ and good at some things, but not in others. God has given you everything that you need. Quit trying to obtain it. You have it. You have it. So how do we position ourselves in Christ, right? That's got to be, be the question now. If we already have it, how do we practice it? How does that flesh out? How does that work? First, we must have a head knowledge of who Christ is. You can't know who Christ is and, and be in Christ if you, can't, if you don't know who Christ is. You have to put your trust in that Christ once you know who Christ is. And then you must live in a state of faith that Christ has finished the work. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Why do you sit? Why would you sit? Miss Carolyn, you do a lot of cooking, right? After you get done with your cooking, then you what? Sit? Oh, after you wash the dishes, then you sit. Or no, you take care of Gloria Ann. After you take Gloria Ann, then what do you do? Okay. When you sit down, though, that means you are finished. You're done. God is seated on the throne. We are seated with him. Why are we seated? Because the work that needs to be done is already finished. God is seated, seated upon the right-hand throne of the Father. He's done. The work has been done. He's already lived the substitutionary life. You don't have to strive to be in Christ any longer. You are in Christ. Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me on my throne, even as I also overcame 
and am set down with my father in his throne. You sit down because you are finished. The work is finished. Fill this in if we are not careful. We will take the greatest message on earth and make it a pure form of humanism. I'm afraid that in my Christian life I've done that. I said, thank you, God, for salvation. I know I couldn't obtain that myself. It's impossible. I could never live that life to have a relationship with you, to go to heaven someday when I die. I appreciate salvation. Thank you. I have it from here. It's good. We're good now. I got it. Got the salvation. Thank you. Got it from here. I'll make sure everything else works out. I could never, I mean, God, I could never ask you to do more than you already have done. And he says, what do you mean ask me to do more than I already have done? I already did everything. Why are, we, why are we afraid that why are we afraid that God is worried about that? Why are we afraid that we need to work harder to please him? If we're already in him, we ought to be carrying out the work that he's put in us. It doesn't mean we don't work. It doesn't mean we just sit back and we go, okay, well, we're in Christ. Great. Well, if you're, if you're doing that, you're not in Christ. In Christ, in Christ, everything has changed. Where you stand has the power to determine where you walk, but where you walk will never have the, the, the power to determine where you stand. Most of my Christian life, I've been guilty of doing the work myself. See, when... We do great things as a church. When you do great things, when I do great things, it was only because we are empowered by Christ. We cannot take any credit for it. It happens sometimes, doesn't it? God does something so great, only he could take the credit for it. And then we kind of we go, oh, God, but you're glad that we, know, we would never say this out loud or even really think about it, but we act like, oh, thank you, God. We did make a pretty good team, don't we? Probably, you're probably happy that, you know, you got to use me, a willing servant. And God says, I don't need you at all. I chose to use you to work a power that you don't have in yourself. We've got to come to this, this place, church. We have to. We have to come to the place where we realize there is nothing good in us. Nothing not a little bit. God did not look in us and say, I'm, I'm willing to save those that have a, that just look like, you know, they just got a chance that they're going to serve me. Christ died for all. He died for bad people. I love what Brother Butch said this morning. Went so perfect. It's hard to find someone to die for a righteous person. God didn't die for the righteous. He wouldn't need to if we were. God chose to die for the reprobate, for the murderer, for the rapist, 
for the dirty. No, God didn't choose it. Not, not to, yes. You check out your Bible. Full of them. Men that penned scriptures. Murderers. Adulterers. Bad people. God chose to die for them. How dare we think that we're so high and mighty? How dare we think that our church attendance or what we do somehow makes us further along in the process of being in Christ? I want you to think for a second. Can you imagine what we could do for this world? Not we, Christ could do through us if we started living like we were already in Christ all the judgmentalism all the comparisons all the fear all the anxiety that we experience in our Christian life are gone what if today instead of wondering what does God want me to do And have I done things in my life that are going to keep me from doing those things? What if that was wiped away? What if, what if for the person or the people that are in this room this morning who haven't come to a relationship with Christ, if you realize that God would accept you just the way you are and change you, and take you from the lowest position to the highest position. Ah, I'm not worthy. Yeah, join the club. None of us are worthy. What could this church do if we stopped trying to get rid of anxiety, stopped trying to get rid of fear, and, started to, and stopped trying to get long-suffering, and stopped trying to have a better marriage, and stopped trying to do good things, Instead, realize God has already done the good things. We just got to live in him so it'll play out in our life. We could flip this town, this world upside down. I mean, he did it with 12. We got to stop worrying about materialism. Stop worrying about a prosperity gospel. Pull out a clip, and I didn't know if I was going to use it this morning, but in North Korea, some of you may even know, in North Korea, there's a story that's just come out. Kim Jong-un, I think I'm pronouncing it, called, I believe yesterday, for the execution of 33 Christians in South Korea. You know, we often talk about the consequences for the, our disobedience. There's a consequence for our obedience. live in Christ 11 out of the 12 disciples died one of them committed suicide but if you talk about the 11 that were there before 10 of the 11 were martyred for Christ one of them put in exile for the rest of his life there was a consequence to following Christ let's get the American dream out of our mind Stop worrying about how big our house we have, what we're going to drive, 
not saying don't have a nice house, not, not saying any of those things. What I'm saying is stop worrying about it. Some of us are so scared that God might actually call us to sacrifice some of our materialism. Oh no. For what? So we can take it with us someday? So that we can have a legacy? So we can build our own kingdom? Let the world have that. Give me Christ. Give me Christ. The same power that saved us is the same power that keeps us. This morning, heads are bowed, eyes are closed.